Brace yourself. If you're driving, pull over. If you're standing up, you are going to want to sit down. We have shocking news. A drag queen performer and self-styled LGBTQ plus youth advisor has just been caught with a bunch of child pornography. Yes, yes. According to the Pennsylvania Attorney General's office, it turns out that a man who spends all of his time thinking about deviant sex and little kids, a man who puts on sexually charged performances specifically for kids, turns out that guy has a sexual interest in kids. Can you believe it? The news comes as an especially tough blow to groups such as Drag Queen Story Hour, which keeps having the rotten luck of repeatedly associating with child rapists. What are the odds? It comes as a shock to people who are so blinded by their own ideology that they can't see the plain reality right in front of their face. And it comes as an important lesson to everybody. If you play stupid games, you will win stupid prizes. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Jordan Elizabeth, who says, the next Daily Wire merch should be a don't squish t-shirt. I totally agree. We do not squish around here, folks. Not on the Michael Knowles show. This is a hard body only zone. This is a stiff area here. No squishing whatsoever. This is getting a little, little bit lurid here. This is getting a little titillating. We'll move on, but do not squish. Whatever you do, do not squish. Okay. We need to communicate our ideas clearly. When you want to communicate clearly, you've got to check out Pure Talk. Right now, go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Knowles Podcast. You are probably getting pinched right now at the gas tank, at the grocery store. Whatever you are paying for, the price is going up with one exception. If you hear my call with one exception, that would be Pure Talk. You can save a ton of money on your cell phone. Pure Talk gives you talk, text, plenty of data for 30 bucks a month. 30 bucks, no price increase there. We're talking about a major price decrease. I am a Pure Talk customer. They have the most reliable network in America. The 5G coverage is great. They're veteran owned. They've got a customer service team right here in the USA. So you will be able to understand them when you call them. Stop giving your money away to Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile. Switch over to my guys over at Pure Talk. They make it super easy. There is a no risk money back guarantee. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, enter promo code Knowles Podcast to save 50%, an additional 50% off your first month. Switch over to Pure Talk service in less than 10 minutes. That is promo code Knowles Podcast, K-N-W-L-E-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, all one word at puretalk.com. If you play stupid games, you will win stupid prizes. If you encourage sexual deviance, Big, hairy, husky dudes who put on skimpy little women's outfits and stiletto heels, and they have a real strange interest in jiggling around for little kids. I think probably you're going you're gonna to wind up with guys who have a sexual interest in little kids. That's what's going to happen. It's not just on the weird sex stuff that this rule holds true. It holds true everywhere. There was a, a video that was going viral yesterday. It's about a, a poor bodega worker, Jose Alba. He's a 61-year-old bodega worker. Uh, he was in New York, I believe, and he was attacked by a career criminal. The career criminal's name is Austin Simon. Austin Simon, this big hulking dude, walks behind toward this s- somewhat elderly bodega owner, goes behind the counter, starts pushing him around, won't let him get up, won't let him move, and then they get into a scrap. The the big career criminal guy's girlfriend apparently stabs the bodega owner and that, or the bodega worker rather. And then the bodega worker stabs the big hulking guy to death. We, we actually have the clip of this. So we have security camera footage, which is really, really important because of how corrupt our criminal justice system has become. Take a look at this. If you're listening right now, I will narrate it for you. You see this big hulking dude wearing what is apparently a very expensive t-shirt and he pushes the bodega guy, this older guy, who's sm- smaller, he's older. Apparently, they got into a fight because this criminal's girlfriend didn't have 75 cents. And so the, the bodega guy said, well, you can't, if you don't have the money, you can't buy the, the product. So this guy goes behind the counter, starts pushing him around. 
really gets up in his face. And the bodega guy, he's just, he's just kind of sitting there. He's trying to get, he's trying to walk away, but the criminal won't let him get away. The criminal starts really beating him up. Now the bodega guy starts bleeding. It's not good. And then now we're off camera at this point. Apparently the, the girlfriend, I guess, had already stabbed the bodega guy at this point. It's a little unclear because you're off camera. Next thing you know, though, this, uh, what the criminal didn't count on was the bodega guy grabs a knife and stabs the criminal. So the criminal goes down. The bodega guy is bloodied, but he's holding a knife now, and he's taken down this thug who was pushing him around and trying to steal his stuff and not even letting him retreat. The bodega guy's trying to leave. He's, he's trying to extricate himself from the situation. The criminal won't let him do it. Guess who gets charged with a crime? Guess who get you know, you know the answer because of the state of our, of the state of our justice system. So there's a racial element here. The criminal is a black guy and the bodega guy is Hispanic, I guess, with a name like Jose Alba. But Hispanics are borderline white these days. And so you've got this racial element at play. And then you've got what, what's even more at play here in New York. You've got a preference for criminals and a a disadvantage for victims. There's no way you can watch that video and say that the bodega guy is, is the aggressor. <laughs> There's no way you can watch that video and say that this criminal is the victim. And when I say criminal, by the way, this guy's got a rap sheet a mile long. This guy was already out on parole for assaulting a cop at the time of this deadly encounter. He has, at the very least, eight prior arrests for assault, for robbery, for assault during a domestic dispute, on and on. Those are just the ones that we know about. And so what happens? The poor bodega guy who's defending himself gets arrested. And the Manhattan district attorney, Alvin Bragg, who is entirely pro-criminal and anti-victim, he's throwing him in the can with a sky-high bail. The, the bail for this bodega guy is a quarter million dollars. You think bodega guys have a quarter million dollars lying around? I don't. And by the way, the DA wanted a higher bail. The DA wanted a $500,000 bail. But the court lowered it to quarter million dollars. It won't matter. There's no way the bodega guy's going to pay it. There is nothing compassionate about what these people are doing, what the, the DA and the courts and this corrupt justice system, they, they think they're being compassionate, or at the least they say they're being compassionate. Oh, these poor criminals, we have to feel bad for the criminals, ignore the victims, ignore the guys getting pushed around and threatened and attacked. We, we just have to feel really bad. I, gosh, can you imagine how society must have failed? What's his name? Austin Simon. Oh, that darn society making him commit at least eight prior crimes and then attack this bodega guy. And then, and then in an act of self-defense, the bodega guy stabs him because Austin Simon played very stupid games and got into a fight and attacked a man over a bag of potato chips over 75 cents and lost his life because of it. I do feel bad for Austin Simon. I don't feel bad for him in the sense that I don't think that this bodega guy should be thrown in prison or charged with any crime. Bodega guy was completely, completely justified. I feel bad for Austin Simon because he's an idiot. And I feel bad for Austin Simon because of the way that I feel bad for all criminals. They've gone down a bad path. They are harming not only society, but they're harming themselves. Socrates wrote about this. Or well, Plato wrote about this in the voice of Socrates, that we, we really should pity criminals because they're harming themselves. As they injure other people, they're really injuring themselves. They're injuring their own souls. And then this guy winds up dead in a bodega because he played stupid games and he had to win stupid prizes. Furthermore, though, if this DA, if this court, if this criminal justice system were tougher on criminals, fewer Austin Simons would end up dead. If this guy, Austin Simon, didn't think that he could just walk into a bodega and because of political correctness and because of intersectionality and because of soft on crime policies, he could just do whatever he wants, steal whatever he wants, push whoever he wants around and nothing's going to happen. And if, if anyone tries to arrest him, the cop is going to be the one who gets lambasted in the media, not the criminal. If he didn't think that he could go in there and harm people and commit crimes with impunity, he'd be less likely to do it and he'd be less likely to end up dead. It's not compatible. I think we would have a much safer society and we would have many fewer needless deaths if there were more Jose Albas in the world stabbing people when they are attacked. 
They're good on Jose Alba. The guy should, not only should not be arrested, not only should not be charged with a crime, the guy should be given a medal for public service because not only did he defend himself, which is his right, but he is sending a message to other criminals. Don't do it. Don't do it, guys. It's not worth it. It's not worth it for the bag of potato chips or the candy bar or the bottle of soda or the 75 cents. Your life, even your life, even you degenerate criminals who are wreaking havoc on society, even your lives, your mostly miserable lives are worth more than 75 cents. But unfortunately, that's not what the, what the authorities are doing. The, the authorities are encouraging more stupid games. You play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. I'm going to play you two clips back to back from Lori Lightfoot, the eccentric mayor of Chicago. Lori Lightfoot is very upset over the intense, harsh, toxic political rhetoric. So I'm going to tell you what she said a few days ago, and then what she said a couple weeks before that. The toxicity in our public discourse is a thing that I think we should all be concerned about, right? And it's ironic, obviously, that we're having this conversation and what happened on Independence Day. You know, we're not like a lot of other countries where the independence, their version of Independence Day is marked with you know, uh, troops and tanks. And no, what we do in the United States is we come together as a community. If you read Clarence Thomas' concurrence, he said, thank you, Clarence Thomas. So I guess we had to bleep it out that she says, F Clarence Thomas, F him. And that's, and we need less toxic rhetoric. We need to cool down the rhetoric. You effing Clarence Thomas, Nazi, racist, uh, evil, you. Well, hey, guess what? If you want less toxic discourse, you're, you're probably going to need to engage in less toxic discourse. And you don't want to do that. And you're obviously being disingenuous when you complain about the discourse. So that's fine. But just know when you do it, when you play those stupid games, you will get, you will in fact get stupid prizes. Speaking of very important matters, matters of life and death even, you got to go check out Epic Will. Right now, go to epicwill.com, use promo code Knowles. Did you know, this is an interesting fact, did you know that 100% of people who skydive will die? Did you know that also 100% of people who breathe will die? It's going to happen. No one here gets out alive, man. Not, not on this earth, not in this world, Okay. So whether you're going to jump out of an airplane at 15,000 feet or you're just going to go quietly in your sleep, either way, you're going to need a will, all right? Best way to get a will, go to Epic Will right now. Your will is not about you. Your will is about your loved ones and the very difficult decisions that they will face if and when something happens to you. Decisions such as whether to keep you on life support or not, whether to bury you or cremate you. If you are a parent, you definitely don't want a judge deciding who should step in and raise your kids. Just some bureaucrat comes in and says, okay, your kid's going to be raised by so-and-so. No, don't do that. Go to epicwill.com. Use promo code Knowles. Save 10% on Epic Will's complete will package. Epic Will can set you up with a will in as little as five minutes. Super easy, well worth $119 to secure your family's future. No matter where you're at in life, 14,000 feet in the air or right here on the ground, you need to have a will. Go to epicwill.com. Use promo code Knowles today. Speaking of life and death, really, really shocking, sad story out of Japan. This is just breaking now. The former prime minister, Shinzo Abe, has been assassinated. A young man, he was only 67 years old, I believe. He was assassinated by some unknown guy. They've arrested the guy who killed him, uh, but the guy was about 41 years old, I think. Shinzo Abe was campaigning for other candidates. Obviously, he wasn't campaigning himself because he's out of office. And what makes it especially weird, well, two things make it especially weird. One, Japan has extremely strict gun control, and Abe was assassinated with a gun. Seems like some sort of makeshift type of gun, but obviously it was effective. Two shots fired, one of which pierced Abe's heart, and he died almost immediately. He died. He died. It was shot last night, and then by this morning, the news had broken. That, that was very strange. And then I, I think the other reason why this is sending shockwaves throughout the world is because Abe is a form, was a former prime minister. It would actually be less weird if Abe were assassinated while he was in office. That would seem to make more sense. He's got power. He might be doing things that other people disapprove of. And so some 
extremely angry, aggressive activist or just, or some lunatic would go out and, and assassinate him. Why would you assassinate a former prime minister? It's, re- it's really scary because it makes you feel that nobody is safe. I obviously don't follow Japanese politics all that closely, but Abe appears to have been extremely popular, a very good prime minister of Japan, longest serving prime minister of Japan. He uh, was a nationalist. He looked out for Japan's interests. That's probably why he and Donald Trump got along so well. And they did appear to strike up a friendship. They went golfing together. One of my absolute favorite moments from the Trump administration was when he went to visit Shinzo Abe. And then there was a, a major worldwide international scandal because Trump fed the koi fish. And he, uh, the media said he poured too much food into the koi fish pond, even though I don't think he did. Anyway, it, it's, uh, it's very sad because he was, he was a good ally for Trump uh, during the administration, a good, uh, good responsible leader and uh, treated the United States rather well. And it's, that's very sad to see. I, I have very little more to say on it other than, other than what it means beyond Japan and what it means beyond Abe and what it means for all of us at a time where we're facing such political uncertainty and we feel like the, the institutions are losing our trust and the world order is spiraling out of control. It is especially scary that a prime minister would be assassinated. And it's even more especially scary that a, pri- that a former prime minister would be assassinated because it makes one feel really no one is safe, really opens up a huge uh, number of people who could be who could be in danger. Speaking of strange events happening with shadowy cabals and assassins and secret societies and all sorts of nefarious conspiracies, do you know about the Georgia Guidestones? Have you ever heard about the Georgia Guidestones? I had heard about them, but until just a couple of days ago, I had kind of forgotten about them because the Georgia Guidestones are this bizarre Stonehenge-like structure that was erected in the late 1970s in Georgia, and no one really knows who was behind it. And then a couple of days ago, they got blown up, and we don't know who blew them up. So this was erected in 1979. And the reason people are are interested in the Georgia Guidestones is because it seems kind of occult, seems kind of conspiratorial, new world ordery. There are a lot of conspiracies surrounding them or conspiracy theories, quote unquote. It's probably conspiracies too. In, in June 1979, a guy using the pseudonym Robert C. Christian approached the Elberton Granite Finishing Company anonymously or pseudonymously, and he said that a small group of loyal Americans wanted to erect this structure. And so the, the granite company said, okay, and they gave him a ridiculously high number for the cost because they thought it was bizarre and they didn't want to do it. And then the secret society said, okay, that's fine. That's fine. Don't worry. That cost is fine. And then they went out and bought a bunch of land and they erected this bizarre Stonehenge-like structure on there. And they had 10 commandments on there, but they're not the normal 10 commandments. They're not the Christian 10 commandments. They were kind of anti, anti-commandments. Here, here's what they said. First one, maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. 500 million. How many people do we have right now? 8 billion or something? Maybe more? Maintain 500 million. That means you'd have to eradicate the vast majority of the world population. Guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. So that's just eugenics. That just means kill off the weak, kill off the the inferior races and make sure you improve the fitness of the race. Unite humanity with a living new language. That's some weird Babylon kind of stuff. Rule passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. It sounds like kind of weird enlightenment, secret society kind of talk. We need to subdue faith and passion and tradition with our reason, with our age of enlightenment reason. Protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Okay, I support that. That sounds good. Uh, let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. Okay, I'm halfway on board with that. I like ruling internally, and I like some diplomacy, but what is this world court? Are we talking about a kind of one world government here? Avoid petty laws and useless officials. Yep, sounds good to me. Balance personal rights with social duties. Okay. Prize truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. So I yeah, okay, that's fine. I yeah, the first part's definitely fine. What this language though of the infinite, it sounds it sounds like the weird esoteric language of those secret societies that cropped up during the Enlightenment 
and that have wreaked a lot of havoc on civilization. And then be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. And be not a cancer on the earth. Well, that sounds like what the left believes. The left believes that human beings are a kind of a cancer. That's why they're so worried about overpopulation like these people are. They're so worried about our horrible effect killing the environment. We humans, we're the problem. We're the disease. We must, we must return to nature and allow nature to heal by killing ourselves and not having any kids. It's weird. It's creepy. It's, it has the language of secret societies and new age cults and all sorts of stuff that I don't like. The Georgia Guidestones were bad. I am glad that they are gone. I don't know how they were destroyed. Was it someone affiliated with the stones that destroyed them? I guess probably not. Was it an act of vandalism? There have been acts of vandalism there before. I don't, I don't support breaking the law, but I'm glad they're gone. They're bad monuments. They speak to a false religion, and I'm glad that they're no longer there. Okay? And that's as simple as that. <laughs> it's bad stuff. I was reminded, I was reading last night, Hilaire Belloc, and he, he was such a clear thinker. He was a historian. Uh, he was a Catholic writer. He wrote a lot about religion. He just reminds me, and, and this is something that we've got to remind ourselves pretty regularly, the fundamental distinction among all the people of the world is not race. It's really not. Yes, races have differences and the different cultures and different geographies, but that's not the fundamental distinction. The fundamental distinction among human beings is not even sex. Men and women are totally different. They're complementary, but that's not really what separates us. It's religion. It's not nationality. It's not politics. It's, not, it's, it's religion, ultimately, because religion, even if you don't think you're religious, even if you don't go to church, even if you don't think that you're practicing rituals, you are, everything comes out of religion because any way you act in the world, you've got to have some sense of what is right and wrong and what is true and who you are and what your place is in the world and what we're all here for and what you're even doing and what you even want. All of that ultimately has to come from religion. Politics is not going to suffice. Science is not going to suffice. Those are all category errors, okay? They're not going to answer the biggest questions. Only religion can do that. And it's, it's very bad when we, when our religious monuments, every, every society has religious monuments. There is, has never, ever been in all of human history a total separation between religion and the state. Can't happen. It's very bad when our public religious symbols are false and wrong and <laughs> lead to destruction. We, we have religious symbols all over our society. We just don't totally recognize them as such. The rainbow flag is a religious symbol that makes totally moral claims. Well, immoral claims, but, it may, but it's making claims about morality. The Georgia Guidestones are, are religious symbols, more explicitly religious symbols. There have been secret societies in American history that have wreaked a great, great deal of, wrought a great deal of havoc. There was even, at one point in America, there was an anti-Mason party. That's how prominent the secret societies were, okay? And people will call you a conspiracy theorist when you point out, hey, these Georgia Guidestones are kind of weird. Well, it's, it's not some random theory. It's not a tinfoil hat. Thing. Somebody put them up. These, these sorts of movements and esoteric societies, they do exist. They do believe things. They are pushing an agenda. Some are less hidden than others. Some are right out there in public. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's a conspiracy. <laughs> and when conspiracies are, are allowed to flourish and they're against the national interest, it's good when they get stopped, okay? That's, I'm not going to complain that the creepy, weird cult guidestones were taken down. Speaking of population control, there's a story that nobody is reporting on, but this is shocking stuff. So big pro-life win. We've, the Supreme Court just overruled Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey. Great. Great new pro-life laws because the issue has been returned to the states. But your taxpayer dollars are still going to fund abortion. You, everyone in this country, every American listening to this show right now is funding abortion. Because Joe Biden is taking your taxpayer dollars and using it to transport illegal aliens and specifically illegal alien minors out of Texas to other states to kill their children, to go get abortions. This news just broke. Many federal shelters for unaccompanied children uh, that have been caught at the U.S.-Mexico border are now flying or driving uh, people using te- federal funds, 
these young people to other states for abortions. And it didn't just start. They've been doing it for nine months ever since pro-life laws started to go into effect. According to the ACLU, which supports the infanticide, they say, time is really of the essence when someone needs access to abortion. That's Brigitte Amiri, who's the deputy director of the ACLU's Reproductive Freedom Project. Listen to that ghoulish sentence. Time is really of the essence when someone needs access to an abortion. Why? Why is time of the essence? Is it because abortion will be outlawed after a certain number of weeks, as it is everywhere in the world, really except for parts of the United States and China and Canada and North Korea? Is that why? Well, but if you're already transporting the illegal aliens out of Texas to other states, you could just take them to a state like Oregon where there are no limits on abortion at all. You could take them to a state like New York where there are no limits on abortion at all. So why is time of the essence? Because beyond the laws, time is of the essence because at a certain point people realize it's a baby. And the young people are not going to want to kill their babies, generally speaking, at 25 weeks. 26. It's just so obviously a baby at that point. You feel the kicks constantly. You can see the baby so clearly on the ultrasound. That's why time is it. We got to kill the babies before people realize they're babies. That's what they're saying. This, this administration is so f- fanatically pro-abortion, so fanatically pro-abortion that they are spending money to take young people, minors, who, by the way, frequently are brought to get abortions to cover up sexual assault, right? When, when an adult rapes a minor, the way to cover up the crime is to go have the minor get an abortion. So, so that's heinous enough as it is. Now, now you're paying for it. And now Joe Biden is pushing this kind of thing. It's not, this is not about a choice. This is not about a reasonable disagreement on when a human life takes on value. This has become a sacrament for the left. Look no further than Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren, I, I think when you look into her eyes, you can see most clearly the, the demonic nature of abortion. When, when the Supreme Court opinion was leaked in Dobbs, she gave that press conference where she was walking from the Capitol and the, the woman had the fire of a thousand suns in her eyes. She goes, where this is terrible and we're going to fight this. And I have a plan to kill more babies. And it was super spooky, man. It was something like you'd read in the New Testament of people possessed or obsessed by demons. So Elizabeth Warren, there's another clip that just came out of her from some time ago that's getting a lot more play right now where Elizabeth Warren says it's not enough that we have legal abortion. It's not enough that we encourage people to kill their babies. It's not enough that we fund Planned Parenthood, the abortion mill. No, we've got to go further. We've got to shut down crisis pregnancy centers that don't kill babies. Here in Massachusetts, these so-called crisis pregnancy centers outnumber genuine abortion clinics by three to one. She says women walk into the centers believing they'll get abortions. Instead, they try to talk women out of it. She calls it a bait and switch. They are giving it over to people who wish them harm. And that has to stop. We need to put a stop to that in Massachusetts right now. Who wish them harm? The crisis pregnancy centers, which offer usually free services, very, very low cost services to pregnant women in distress and who promise to take care of the women and their babies, they're doing women harm? How? Because Elizabeth Warren says, if the center won't kill the woman's child, that constitutes harm. Killing a baby is charitable. Not killing the baby and taking care of the mother and the baby, that's harm. We've got, it's not enough just to even support abortion. You've got to oppose pro-life. It just, it just, goes to show you that all this language of pro-choice has, has always been a ridiculous lie. And I really would encourage, we talked at the top of the show about not squishing. I really encourage conservatives never to use that phrase, pro-choice. It's so ridiculous. It's so euphemistic. I, I'm willing to use the left's language in certain instances, but I'm not willing to lie for the left. Pro-choice is a ridiculous, it doesn't tell you anything about it. If, if an alien from outer space heard the phrase pro-choice, they would have no idea what, what the, the person was talking about. It's intentionally deceptive. 
So I wouldn't use that language. And, and by the way, even if you did use that language, they're not talking about a choice. They want to shut down the crisis pregnancy centers. They want to stop you from having the choice to have your baby. They want to lower the population of the world. They want to support the Georgia Guidestones. They want to limit the horrible effects of human beings, the cancer on the earth, on the environment, and on society. They want to practice eugenics. They've been open about this. This isn't some tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. Planned Parenthood was founded as a eugenics organization, <laughs> okay? They, they tell it to you. They tell it right to your face, all right? And we should take it seriously. We should take it seriously, one, because it's a serious problem, but two, because our vice president insists that we need to take things seriously because of how seriously we need to take things. We gotta take this stuff seriously, as seriously as you are because you have been forced to have to take it seriously. The whole nation should understand and have a level of empathy to understand that this can happen anywhere in any peace-loving community. And we should stand together and speak out about why it's got to stop. And what this seriously reminds us is Joe Biden's greatest advantage going right now, which is everything is going very poorly. You're seeing the consequences of playing stupid games in society, which is winning stupid prizes on the economy, on crime, on immigration, on foreign affairs, on everything. Bad ideas, bad policies have bad consequences. And yet, this guy who can barely speak, who clearly has lost a step or a hundred steps, this guy is probably still going to be able to keep the Democrat nomination in 2024, or at least he has a very good shot at it, because all the people around him are even worse. He's made one really smart move. It's a really smart, stupid move, which is he has surrounded himself with people who are somehow less competent and less likable than himself. There has been a lot of excitement about Daily Wire Plus and also, also a lot of questions. What is Daily Wire Plus? How is it different from the Daily Wire? How do I access it? What does it cost? What is the purpose of life? What is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? Daily Wire Plus is everything you love about the Daily Wire all under one umbrella. Podcasts, plus content from Jordan Peterson, including his archives and his new content, plus the PragerU library, plus movies and documentaries, plus kids content, which is coming soon. In other words, this is our ever-expanding multimedia universe. You access it by going to dailywireplus.com or you download and open the Daily Wire app. Then you click or tap where it says watch. Boom, you're there. Good news is if you were already a Daily Wire member, you are now a Daily Wire Plus member for the same great price. If you are not yet a member, the good news is that right now, if you go to dailywireplus.com, you get 35% off your new membership. Help us build the future you want to see. Become a dailywireplus.com member today. We'll be right back with a lot more. Welcome back to the show. It is now my favorite time of the week that I've been longing for all week. It is the mailbag, specifically the voice mailbag sponsored by Pure Talk. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, enter promo code Knowles Podcast to save 50% off your first month. You'll have a great cell phone plan, you'll save a bunch of money, and you will keep the voice mailbag on this show. First question up. Hey, Michael, Stephen here. My best friend has a doctorate in English and spent much of his education studying feminism and gender theory. So he maintains that gender is a purely social construct that is in no way informed by biological sex. I attempted to argue the idea that a majority of men or women would inform the idea of the genders at a base level. And he denied that, stating that there is no individual aspect of either masculinity or femininity that holds up under concentrated scrutiny. For example, women are more likely to desire to be the primary child care provider is not something he'd agree with, because he'd say that there's no objective way to prove that this is true from a biological standpoint as opposed to cultural influence. Just because a majority conforms to those characteristics or believes they exist doesn't mean that they are rooted in reality. He points to supposedly gender-based concepts throughout history that have been proven false, like the belief that women are less intelligent than men, as evidence that my argumentation methodology is flawed, and that because it's based in the concept of the majority, it doesn't hold up to his counter-arguments. I know that he would welcome a compelling and intellectually sound rebuttal, even though I don't think he would change his mind. So what argument would you make to counter his and to reinforce what is to me and likely you the obvious truth? Love your show and the work you do. 
Thank you very much. The problem with debunking his argument is that he isn't making an argument. He's just saying a thing. He's just saying sex and gender are different. And you say, okay, well, how's that? He said, well, because they just are. Well, okay, what's the difference? Now, for the last 50 years or so of the sex-gender distinction on the left, they say that gender is cultural and social, sex is biological. Because of the transgender movement, they've started to switch that a little bit now. So they'll say things like one can have a biologically female penis. So they're, they're saying that gender actually is biological or transgenderism, for instance, is when a person's brain has the gender that is female, but the, the, their physical biology is male. But of course, your brain is physical. So it, that, that stuff doesn't make a lot of sense. I guess I would begin, uh, to his point on the idea that women are less intelligent. I've, I've never thought women are less intelligent than men. I think women can be extremely clever. Though, ironically, he makes this point that there's no study, or rather that even this has been debunked. But uh, Larry Summers got thrown out of Harvard. The president of Harvard University got thrown out because he conducted a study and suggested that the uh, IQ bell curve for women is smaller than the IQ bell curve for men, which doesn't mean that women are just stupider than men or something. It actually means women are, at the, at the very, very highest extremes of intelligence, are slightly less intelligent, but also slightly smarter than men at the, at the two extremes. So again, I don't particularly care about Larry Summers or his study, and I think all studies are basically fake. But even if, if he is solely relying on studies, they don't seem to prove his point. Regardless, I, I just think it's so s- silly, the place he's beginning from, because he's saying, He's saying, look, we've got, we've got the entire body of human knowledge for all of human history, which says that men and women are different and act differently, and men are from Mars and women are from Venus. And every single culture in all of human history has known this. Not just the men, but the women have known this everywhere. But I want a study. <laughs> but what about my studies or something like that? And it's just so silly. You begin with this question, are men and women different? Yes, we can see that men and women are different. Does the physical world say, does our physical reality say something about what we should do with our physical reality? To say, does our body say something about what we should do with our body? This is clearest when it comes to sex, right? Men have a role in sex and women have a role in sex. And the consequence of that is that the women become pregnant and grow a child in their wombs. Men can't do that. Women can do that. Does, that means men and women are different. Does, does the fact of becoming pregnant say something about how women ought to behave and how they do behave when they become pregnant that is different from men? Yes, that is obviously true. Do men naturally take on different roles because of this? Because we've got this undeniable fact of different sexual slash gender roles when it comes to pregnancy and sex. So does this, does this occur in other aspects of life? Yes, this is obviously true. You look at the oldest hunter-gatherer tribes, men and women have different roles. You look at tribes that still live in a more primitive way around the world today. There are different roles for men and women. When Walsh went to Africa for his documentary, he asked, what is a woman to the African tribe? And both the men and the women gave the same answer. It's a very interesting answer. They said, the, the men are the people who do the role of the men. And the women are the people who do the role of the women. That it begins not with some shallow kind of discourse on even biology or something, but with duty, with role, with, with a, a place in society. You could point out that in politics, we're not just individuals, free-floating atoms on our own, but man is essentially a political animal, a social being that has identity in his role in society. And men and women have different roles. That happens naturally. And even when social reformers really want to mess with that, people still go out and do it. This is why uh, when Betty Friedan was debating Simone de Beauvoir, two feminists in the late 20th century, they were debating what feminism should look like. Betty Friedan said women should have a choice. They can either take on the traditional role of women and raise children and take care of the family and home economics, or they should be allowed to go out and work and and not take care of their family. And uh, Simone de Beauvoir said, no, no, they should not be given that choice. Betty Friedan said, what do you mean? Why shouldn't they be given that choice? And Simone de Beauvoir said something very revealing. She said, if women are given the choice to raise their kids, they will. And we can't have that. That's not conducive to liberation. Women will take on their natural roles 99 times out of 100. And we can't have that. That's not good for feminism. So those are, those are just a smattering of points I would make to debunk the argument that he is not making. Okay, next question. 
Hey, Michael, uh, love the show. I've been listening to it for a couple years now, and I share it with friends and family. Uh, just wanted to ask, I'm an artist and having, having worked for Disney, you know, uh, very briefly in my career, um, I, I'm just so disappointed with everything that they're doing now. And I'm just asking a question in regards to content creation for social. I sometimes wonder, should I create art that exposes um, the just the demonic uh, reality of, of what they are and what, they, what they've been doing lately? Or do I just create art uh, that's good, that's wholesome, and that shows the light of Jesus? Um, not so much on the nose, but you know, a little bit more creative. I just often wonder what type of content should I be creating? As an artist, sometimes I wonder, do people want to view art to try to get away from everything that's going on? Or should art be some sort of a voice? And I often find myself struggling between those two approaches. I don't really see the distinction because if I think of art like Hieronymus Bosch's Garden of Earthly Delights, it's both very scary and you know demonic and really awful, but it's also extremely beautiful. Or I think of Caravaggio, probably my favorite artist. I have a Caravaggio uh, print. It's not an original hanging in my office, uh, but Caravaggio has all sorts of extremely intense, very uh, scary even paintings, but they're extremely beautiful. Even the paintings of, you know, uh, John the Baptist's head <laughs> or, or Gustave Dore's depictions of Dante's Inferno. It, those are scary and even depictions of hell, but they in turn do depict something that is ultimately beautiful and they do convey the light of Christ, if only by contrast, if only by showing you how horrible hell is and how we ought to avoid hell. So I, I don't, I don't think it's, I, I don't think beauty and sublimity are necessarily require you to paint, you know, Thomas Kincaid, a fire in every window and, and smoke coming out of every chimney. I don't think you need to produce kitsch or schmaltzy kind of art, uh, but it, it should, it should be to an end. Uh, I, I would encourage you not to paint ugly, hideous, absurd things. You shouldn't go down the Dada path, for instance. <laughs> you shouldn't do that. Uh, because that that can be not edifying, but degenerating. And so I, I, I certainly wouldn't recommend that. And then to your point on political art, uh, your art shouldn't be shallow. All art is political in the sense that it describes aspects of the world that we live in and gives us some perspective from our own role in the world, which is social. So it, it's all political in that sense, but it doesn't need to be agitprop. You know, it doesn't need to be really shallow, ideological kind of art. Do this didactic, pedantic nonsense. You know, I wouldn't recommend that either. I would make it beautiful. And if you ground it in the truth, that beauty can come from scenes that are of the glories of heaven, you know, from paradise, or they can be scenes from hell. And both, both will be uh, edifying as works of art. All right, next one. Mr. Knowles, thank you for taking my question, and thank you, Pure Talk, for making it possible. In the aftermath of the overturning of Roe, secular women everywhere have threatened chastity and an end to hookup culture. If you can even imagine such a world, you know this would render apps like Tinder, Bumble, and the like obsolete. We are all excited about what The Daily Wire is doing, not only to rebut left-wing pop culture, but give the right a pop culture all its own. My question is this. Is it time for the Daily Wire to start a conservative dating app? My name ideas include Swipe Right with a capital R, The Daily Wire, or my favorite, <laughs> MAGA Matches with an optional paid upgrade to Ultra MAGA <laughs> Matches. I do expect royalties. What do you think? You deserve royalties. You probably won't get them, but you deserve royalties for that. I, I love the idea because I want more of you. People write in all the time. You're single. You want to meet people, but you don't want to date some squishy libs, so you don't know what to do. And you, you know, I think it would be great. It would be a wonderful thing if we could set up our wonderful Daily Wire members and listeners. But there is a, a structural problem, and you, you alluded to it in the first part of your question, which is dating apps have an incentive to keep people dating. They don't have an incentive to get people married. And the, the only way they have an incentive to get people married is in as much as people who want to get married will sign up for the app to then, 
ideally get married. So it has a kind of attraction in that way. But if you want consistent customers, then you need people to stay on the apps, which means you've got to discourage marriage and encourage the hookup culture. So it would be a very difficult needle to thread. I'm not saying it would be impossible, but it would be, it would very likely become self-undermining if you had a conservative dating app that was strictly meant for marriage, unless you could incentivize the company to incentivize people to get married. I don't know, maybe you have to pay a dowry to the company if you get married or something like that. We'll have to look into it. Then we can use part of those dowries to pay you your, your royalties. Next question. Hey, Michael. Love the show. Anyways, um, I am a high school student who has always been conservative, but I'm starting to, uh, I'm sort of converting to Christianity at the moment. Um, anyways, um, I love math, and I've always been much more talented at math than, uh, than English. Like, I actually struggled with English when I was a kid, but I've been always off the charts in math. I got a perfect score on the ACT and SAT math sections. And, um, I've been looking into, like, careers I could go into, and in terms of applying math and turning my own personal crank, um, artificial intelligence and machine learning sounds very interesting to me. Um, but also I do have a few ethical concerns about that, so I was wondering what you think. Thanks and love your show. Really good question. The smartest people I know, almost all of the smartest people I know, are working in some way on these sorts of issues. The, uh, a, a really good friend of mine from college who's a super intelligent, brilliant mathematician, brilliant physicist, he, he's working on AI. And I think it's cool. He, I just saw him at a reunion and he was showing me all the crazy stuff that they're doing, uh, the art that these machines are making, the poems that the machines are writing. It's super scary. I, I, I wouldn't have ethical question, uh, questions rather about the machines themselves. Some people are concerned about the ethics of what happens if the machine becomes conscious. The machine's not going to become conscious. It's, that's not how consciousness works. So I wouldn't worry about that. You might be concerned about the ethics of what can be done with these machines. But this would be similar to someone who's working on weapons. You know, you might have ethical worries about that. But I, I, I don't think I would let that stop me from working on it. There is going to be artificial intelligence. There already is artificial intelligence. And so if you, with a, your head screwed on straight and your heart in the right place and, you know, a decent sense of virtue, if you are working on it, you might be able to help influence and, and make sure that there are those ethical guardrails there. I think that would be uh, pretty important. So go for it. Plus, it seems extremely cool. Before we go, I want to get to at least one written mailbag question from Kristen. This Tuesday, you brought up the issue of antidepressants and the rise of use after COVID. I was against the use of antidepressants until I needed something more than just talking to someone. They have improved my life greatly. And I think I would argue against your wording of being addicted to antidepressants. They save lives, and I think the issue lies in the society my generation has to deal with as we are more isolated than ever. There you go. What would a better solution be than to just stick people on antidepressants? Because I would argue that that may be the best option as of now. Thank you for giving young conservatives a voice. I appreciate all that you do. Really great question. A lot of people wrote in similar things to me, so I'm glad we could get to this. I think you proved my point, though, in your question. Because you're saying, look, I, I didn't want to take antidepressants, but then I went on antidepressants and I felt better. Yeah, well, if that's what antidepressants do, is they chemically uh, trick you into thinking that you're happier than, than you would be otherwise if you were not on the influence of this drug, under the influence of this drug. But then you said, I think the reason that my generation is on all these antidepressants is because our society is so isolating. I think you're totally right about that. Therefore, what, what would the better alternative be? If antidepressant drugs have any use at all, it will be to treat personal psychological issues. I, I think the idea of a chemical imbalance in the brain has been pretty discredited at this point, but whatever that phrase is trying to describe some physical issue here that one of these drugs could possibly address, that would at least make sense. But if the problem is not personal, if the problem is not just psychological, if the problem is not just some imbalance in your brain, if the problem is, as you say, social, then drugs are not the answer. Drugs are not the way to deal with social problems. Politics is the answer to deal with social problems at the highest level. And, and society and culture and going out and meeting people and showing up to church on Sunday and showing up to the bar, <laughs> to maybe to or restaurants or a social club, or, that's the way to treat it. And in the long run, that's going to be a lot better. 
it's, it's true that for some people who are in the throes of depression, uh, it can be good to give them a little bit of relief. And maybe, maybe a drug can do that, maybe it can't, but it, that can't be the long-term solution. And often there are a lot of negative side effects from that. It's, it's just going to be tricking you. It's just going to be a lie. It's going to be numbing you like drugs do. So if you want a long-term solution to, to put yourself back in reality, then you've got to go see people and you've got to go interact in the real society. In fact, in many ways, the antidepressant culture is not only a reaction to, but, but perpetuating this culture of isolation in the same way that virtual reality does, because it just brings you more and more into yourself in the same way that transgenderism does, by bringing you more and more into your own delusions and taking you out of objective reality and encouraging you to just stay exactly where you are in a condition that for many people is miserable. So the, the, the solution to that, and I'm not disparaging anybody who has taken these drugs in the past or even is taking them now, but that, that can't be in pretty much every circumstance, that can't be your long-term solution. Your long-term solution to a social problem is to re-engage in society. And that can be scary, and you might have anxiety about it, but that's just part of the human condition. We're living in such a bizarre time. Does anybody else think it's strange that we're living at a time where we re- have redefined totally normal aspects of the human condition? Shame, self-doubt, social anxiety, the quirks that we all have. I'm so OCD, that sort of thing. We've redefined all those completely normal aspects of, of human life as mental illness. And then we've redefined actual mental illnesses like gender identity disorder as totally normal aspects of human life. It's, it's just completely backwards. And then when things go awry, what do we do? We encourage people to isolate themselves on the internet, on media, doom scrolling, popping pills. That's, that's not a long-term solution. Go engage in society and don't squish. Go into society, don't squish. Wonderful to be with you as always. Wonderful to hear from all of you in the mailbag. We'll see you next week. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, Be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Cherokee Hart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Hey, everybody, this is Andrew Clavin, host of The Andrew Clavin Show. You know, some people are depressed because the republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Clavin Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Clavin Show and laugh your way through the fall of the republic with me, Andrew Clavin. <laughs>